So today we're going to learn a talk that was taught to us by the Rebbe in 1972 on this Parsha of Vayichi. And it was published on a Parsha Vayichi a couple years uh, later in 1978. Now, this uh, Sicha is actually a fascinating Sicha explaining to us a Rashi. And it's a fascinating Sicha on the idea of Joseph speaking to King Pharaoh after his father, Jacob, Yaakov, comes down to Egypt. As you remember the story that Yaakov comes down to Egypt because there's a terrible hunger in the land of Israel. At those days it was called the land of Canaan. And he comes down to Egypt during the second year of the hunger because Yosef is in charge of all the storehouses and all the uh, the food. So the whole family comes down after he reveals himself to his brother. Yaakov lived his final 17 years in the land of Egypt. Now, before he passes away, Yaakov calls Yosef over and he tells him that I feel that my time is nearing, that I'm going to pass away soon. Now Yaakov tells his son, because he knows that his son is in charge of Egypt, he's the, but he's still the second in command, Pharaoh's still above Yosef, and he basically makes Yosef promise and give a vow and swear that he will make sure that he will be buried back in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel. Where does Yaakov want to be buried? He wants to be buried together with his forefathers. He wants to be buried where his father and mother are buried, Yitzchak and Rivka. He wants to be buried where his grandparents are buried, Avraham and Sarah. And he also wants to be there. As a matter of fact, his wife Leah is buried already there. And his, uh, his wife Rachel was not buried there for a different reason, but he wants to be able to be buried there. So he makes his son promise. Now, we're going to go through this talk of exactly the speech that Yosef made to Pharaoh. And in this speech, there's a lot of very important details, especially one word that completely doesn't make sense. And we're going to find three interpretations of what this means. And at the end of the Sicha, I want to share with you a story that happened in 1950 from a Jew in France who consulted the Rebbe about a story of burying his father and he couldn't afford to and he sent his father's body to Israel. We'll talk about that at the end. So the actual verse is in this week's Parsha. It's in chapter 50, verse 5. And here it basically is the speech that Yosef goes to Pharaoh after his father passes away. And this is, these are the words that he tells Pharaoh. Tells him like this. My father had adjured me. He made me swear to him that that I'm about to die and in my grave asher Karisi Lee. Let's use the simple interpretation that all translations use because they're using the first interpretation of Rashi that Joseph is saying that my father made me swear that, uh, that, that he said that he's about to die and he wants to be buried in his grave which he had dug for himself. Asher Karisi Lee. In the land of Canaan. Now, we are going to see now what does it mean that he wants to be buried in the place Asher Karisi Li. What does these words mean? Now, we have to remember that whenever we have an unusual word in the Torah, the commentary, especially Rashi, who's one of the most chief commentaries, will try to deduce from many different places that our sages help us to understand and from other similar uses of words or the root of the word in other places throughout the entire Bible. And we're going to try to understand what this word means. Says Rashi, there's three explanations in what this word could possibly mean. 
when he said over to Pharaoh these words that my father swore and told me that he wants to be buried, Asher Karisili, number one is that it means simply understood. It means the place, the burial place that he dug. That's what my father told me. He wants to be in the place that he dug. Number two, says Rashi, from a medrash. He says, umedrashai. There's a medrash, which normally a medrash means in home, a homiletical way of understanding a word. So you t- they t- usually a medrash takes an idea and says, this is the idea that makes sense in this content. Although the medrash does not necessarily fit always in the literal use of word but they fit into the content. So Rashi says that there is a medrash that actually fits well with this wording here. And that is that karisi is spelled with a cuff. But it fits with the word and the sounding like kunisi with a kuf. Even though it's spelled, the letter is used as kuf, so it's karisi with a kuf. But really, it's like, it's like kunisi. Kanisi means acquired or bought. So the Medrash is telling you that when Yosef tells the Pharaoh that my father made me swear that he wants to be buried in the place that he bought for himself. He purchased this piece, this plot. So that's why he wants to be there. He paid for it. Then Rashi tells a third interpretation. And another Medrash. He says, There's another Medrash that Karisi, the first three letters of Karisi is Kari, and Kari could mean also a heap, like a mountain, like like a mount. Meaning that, and again, this is a typical Medrash, where it tells you that it alludes to an idea of a mount. What's the mount? Yaakov basically saying that I bought this piece of land with a heap of money. I took all my gold and silver that I worked for years by my father-in-law, Lavan, and became a wealthy man there. And I took my entire gold and silver and I told my brother Asaph, who was my older brother, and I said, here's all this money, but sell me your plot. I want to be buried in the cave of the doubles called Ma'ara Samachpela, in the place in Hebron. I want to be buried here. I understand this value. So Yaakov said, look, my brother loves money. What do I need money for? Who needs money? Money, you know, is only when you live. Who needs money after that? So he took all his money, everything, kol kesef all his entire money, and he made a heap, and he gave this to his brother, Esav, for the rights to this plot. By the way, it's good to know the end of that story by, about his brother, Esav, who signed a contract with him and said, okay, no problem. I, what do I need that plot for? I don't care where I'm buried. I want all this money. And they signed a deal. But there's actually an end to that story, which is brought down at the end of uh, Parsha Vayichi. It's uh, brought down from a Talmud and also the Targum, Yonatan ben Uziel, he quotes it. Rashi doesn't bring it down, but he quotes what happened at the funeral of Jacob. Just Good to know that context because there's another talk from the Rebbe about the difference of the Talmud and the Yonas of Benazir. But the short of it is, is that at the funeral, guess who showed up? Somebody that we didn't see for years showed up at Jacob's funeral. Esav shows up. He says, my father's funeral. He comes running there to his father's, to, 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 sorry, his brother's funeral. He hears that his brother Yaakov died. He comes running to the cemetery, to the, to, to Israel, to Hebron. And he says, no way are you burying my brother Yaakov there. It's my plot. And all Jacob's kids looked at him and said, hey, Uncle Asaph, nice to see you again. But sir, we know that our father paid his entire wealth, his entire, everything he had, everything is gold and silver for 21 years by his father-in-law that he, that he accumulated. He bought off that place. And Asaph says, Apollonia, ah, that story never happened. They said, what do you mean? We know that there was a document. He says, yeah, go prove me that there's such a document. So they had to travel back to Egypt to go to the safe in the uh, capital city there, yeah, they went to Beirut, 
or wherever the capital there. And they, they, but who's going to travel? Jacob's ready to be buried here. So Jacob had a son. One of his kids was a very fast runner. His name was Naphtali. Naphtali was an exceptional fast runner. So the brother said to him, hey, Naphtali, you run to Egypt and go get the certificate that Esau signed that he's signing off his, his burial plot. So Naphtali runs what would take people three days to travel. It would take him like an hour. But in the meantime, everybody's sitting around. They want to bury their holy father. Entire family is there. All Jacob's 12 kids and the grandchildren are there. And there's one grandchild. His name is Chushim. Chush. He's, he was the son of Dun. Now this guy, Chush, he was deaf. He couldn't hear well, but he was able to see. He sees a commotion. The, the funeral's not moving on. So he starts saying, what's going on? What's going on? Why don't they bury, uh, you know, Grandpa Jake? So they look at him and they start explaining to him that we're waiting for the documents. He doesn't understand. So they start pointing to Asaph. You know, that's because of him that the funeral procession is not continuing. He doesn't understand what's going on. All because of him that we're not burying my grandfather. So he takes out a sword and he, and Asaph's head comes off and it rolls to the feet of Isaac's uh, burial place. That's the story that, that, that said over there, which is how Asa finished his life. So the Rebbe has a beautiful talk explaining that the head of Asa, even the biggest wicked person, the head who once learned Torah when he was a kid by his father Yitzchak is still holy. The body was wicked, but the head is pure. And that's why his head ended up by his father Yitzchak. But that's just, you know, the, 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 that piece, you know, of that story. Today, if you go into Mara Sabachpela, they have their assigned there somewhere. It says, here's Yitzchak's buried, and it also says, Asaph's head is here somewhere, you know, alluding to, to, uh, to that tale. But anyway, so back to here, to our point here, Rashi saying is, is that it's from the word heap, karisi, kari means like a heap, a mount. So that's referring to the mount of gold and silver that he bought it up. Now, the reason why Rashi says it in this order of these three explanations is also for a purpose. Everything in Rashi, remember, is exact, as we're soon going to see, incredibly. We're soon going to ask eight questions on this Rashi, but first let's understand it. The order of Rashi here is obvious, because first he brings down an interpretation that fits with the literal context of the word. The word says, karisi, so Rashi says it means digging as he has source, other sources from the Torah, where we have the similar word that means digging. So that fits the best. Then he brings out a medrash. And he says, this is first, he brings a medrash that fits kind of with the use of words. Karisi, kar, kanisi, very close. So it fits with the word, it means buying. Then he goes and he brings out another medrash that doesn't even fit with any words over here. It's like total play on the word. Karisi, kari, a mountain. And it's a little more you know, farther from the literal text of the verse. And this makes sense to order. Now, even it's understood in the third explanation, Rashi says another medrash. So you can maybe say that the third explanation is kind of to explain the second one. In other words, the medrash that says that Karnisi is like buying, you could add to that, it's like the heap interpretation, buying through this money that he bought it off Asaph. So you could kind of say that, that, you know, that's an extra explanation to it. Says the Rebbe, first we have to ask three questions. Number one is, what, when Rashi brings more than one interpretation, there has to be a reason for it. It means that something was difficult with the first explanation, that you couldn't fall asleep by night with that problem that you have with the first interpretation. So you need to have another one. So that's why Rashi goes to a second interpretation. So what was the problem with the first one? That he has to bring a second one that's a medrash. And then brings a third one, another medrash kind of, maybe it's explaining or it's a complete third one. What was the problem with the first, with the first medrash that he said? And especially Rashi said that the one that means that he bought, he said it fits with the wordings. And then you go bring me another matter that doesn't even fit with the words, like that, that it's a heap, a dismount. Like, what's going on over here? What was the problem with the first? Just say that it means that he, it's the place that he dug. 
That's question number one. Question number two is, why in the second interpretation that Carisi means that he bought it, he bought the land, that's why he wants to be buried, because he bought that burial place, he paid for it. And Rashi says, where did he get that idea that it means bought? From the Medrash. Says the Rebbe, why do you need to go so far to a Medrash? A Medrash, again, is telling you like a homiletical way of understanding it. The Rebbe says, we have verses in other places in the Torah that teach me that Karisi means bought. For example, he says, if you look ahead in the book of Deuteronomy in Chumash Devarim, over there it speaks about when the Jews had to travel through the land of Edom and God said to Moshe, tell the Jews, do not instigate war with these people because remember, I'm not giving you this land. This land of Edom I'm giving to Esau's his family, his descendants. So don't poke them and don't make any war. What I mean by that is, is when you're going to be hungry traveling with your few million Jews, buy the food, pay for it. Every 7-Eleven, buy it. And the water, pay for it. Don't look for anything for free. Pay for it. So on the word, and buy the water, again, it uses the same the same letters of tough Chavresh, which teaches you the same idea of buying so why does Rashi have to say that buying, he got it from a medrash, why doesn't he quote a verse in Devarim? And then there's another verse in the book of Hesheia, also over there it says a similar word, Ve'ekra, means that he bought something bought with 15 uh, golden coins. So again, remember, when you learn a word and you want to interpret a word, you have to look in other places where there's no other way to translate that word. Clearly it says, buy the water, buy the food, and buy the water. And so clearly over there, the word means buy. <laughs> what else does it mean? Obviously it means buy. So why does Rashi have to tell you, tell you it means buying from a medrash? Rashi should have just said the word kariti here means buying like we have in other verses in Dvarim and in the book of Isaiah. And even more on the same question, in both of those places, if you look in there in, in the book of Dvarim or in the book of Isaiah, Rashi says over there that it means buying. And he says, you know how I know it means buying? Because of Parsha Vayichi, Joseph said to Pharaoh the word, Asher Kariti, that because my father bought it. And Rashi doesn't say it's from a medrash. Rashi uses our words there. That it means bought. So again, why does Rashi here have to allude, bring a source from a medrash that it means buying? We have clearly, you could just save from other verses. By the way, when you ask such a question, it obviously means that the fact that he does say it's from a medrash is because he doesn't want to learn it from those verses for a certain reason that we have to try to figure out. Number three, even if it's not enough of a proof to use to quote those verses that Kariti is a kind of method of purchasing, of buying it. But since, what does he do, Rashi? Rashi says like this, let's fill in the full Rashi on the second interpretation. Rashi says like this, that it mean, Kariti means bought. How does he know, even he brought it from the Medish, but how does he know that it means bought? So he says, because the Medish quotes, that Rabbi Akiva said that when he was traveling once to, to some cities that were along the sea, he said, I heard people talking in, you know, I guess the marketplace there, you heard people talking in the cities by the sea, I guess that's where transactions happen, you know, not in the little towns. So I heard them use there the language, I heard them use Kira like Mechira. So the word Kira, Kariti here, is like the word Mechira, which means selling. So you see, it's the idea of transactional movements. So now, if you're saying that you don't want to quote it from a verse, you want to quote it from the Medrash, which is telling you like Rabbi Akiva heard it in the streets, and that's what it means. And we have also Another place similar that's quoted also the same thing Rabbi Akiva was on these cities of the seas. We have the story where Jacob was traveling and he wanted to bring an offering to God. He wanted to build an altar. So it says that he bought off the children, the son, 
Chamer, who was the father of Shechem, he bought off the Chamer, right? The father of Shechem. He bought a piece of land. And how much did he buy it for, it says? He bought it for a hundred kisita. And Rashi says, what's kisita? It's a ma, which basically is a measurement, which is a twentieth of, one twentieth of a, of a shekel. And then he says, that Rabbi Akiva said, that at the cities on the sea, they said the mayor's kisita. The point is, that you see that we're relying on the words of sages of what they heard, of what a word could mean. We also have this in another place. We have where we learn translation of words in the Torah from the people's use of language in different languages. For example, you all say in the uh, Shema prayer, you say a word, you say, you should tie a, a knot, right? as a sign on your arm. And then it says, You should do, as in English, they translate as a remembrance. But there's a fascinating insight to this word totafos. What does the word totafot mean? Like, where does the word come from? So Rashi says in Vaschana that the word totafot actually is the source word that we're going to learn why you need four compartments in your tefillin. If you ever looked on your head film, you see four, like you see lines, four separate spaces. How do we know that there's four separate compartments in your film? Because he said, totafos is really totfot. It says in the language of Kaspi, it says that tot means compartments. And in the language of Afriki, fot means compartments. Now compartments in plural has to be at least two. So if tot and fot is each compartments in plural, that's how you know you get four, two and two. So you have four compartments. That's hinted in the word totafos. But again, how do we know this? Rashi says, because we heard it from the language of people talking in the cities on the sea. So if that's the case, that we could learn interpretations of certain words that our sages helped us to understand the background of the meaning of the translation of the words, why does Rashi have to say that he got it from a medrash? He could just say, I got it from our sages. Meaning the regular way of the Talmud teaching you things. So why does he have to use the word medrash? So those are our three questions that you have here. So again, let's recap the three questions. Number one, What's wrong with the first interpretation? The Rashi says it means literally that Jacob dug the hole, the hole and that's why he wants to be buried there. What was the problem with that? Second, the second point is, why does he have to say in the second meaning that it's a medrash? He could quote it from a verse. Clear other verses teach you that it means buying it. And the third question is, why do you need to have a verse at all? Why do you, if you don't want to learn it from a verse, you could just say that I know it from the stories of Rabbi Akiva telling you or, or as other places where we learned to say just taught us what these words mean. Why do you have to tell me that it's from a medrash? If you don't want to learn it from the verse, don't tell me that it's a medrash. Just tell me that that's the way it's learned by scholars. So those are the three questions. Now, says the Rebbe, there are more what's called diyukim. Diyuk means being very technical. He says, let's get a little bit technical in some of the words here used in the Rashi. Because if you get technical with these questions, you could, you could actually appreciate the whole bigger picture of what's going on over here. So he asks five technical questions. Number one, in the heading of a Rashi, even when Rashi quotes a verse, and then he explains the verse, right? He quotes a few words and he explains those words. Over here, Rashi's only explaining to you one word, kariti. So why does he quote three words from the verse? Asher kariti li. At, like my father said, as, as he dug for himself. Why do you have to have the word and? And why do you have the word himself? Just say the word dug. Explain the word kariti. Either dug or bought or a heap. That's it. Why is Rashi's heading also quoting the word before and after? Number two. In the first explanation, Rashi says, how do I know that it means digging? Because I have a verse. Remember always, if you have a biblical verse, you're on safe ground. So Rashi brings you the verse that it means digging. Because we have in the parsha of Mishpatim, the, that's the parsha that has all the civil laws. Most of the civil laws are in parsha Mishpatim. Over there it says, if a person uncovered a pit, or if you dug a pit and somebody 
this animal or somebody fell into it, the person who's the owner of uncovering or building the pit is responsible. Okay? So Rashi's quoting that verse and he says, like the verse that says, a man who dug, and over there the word Yichur is the same letter, so we know it means dug. That's his proof. Says the Rebbe, number one, why doesn't he bring a verse earlier in the Torah? Why does he go to Parsha Mishpatim? And Parsha told us, which we already learned, there was another verse there. It said that the servants of Isaac dug. So we also already have the word dug in, a, in an earlier Parsha. Why does Rashi bring a, a, a proof from a later Parsha? Number two, why does Rashi quote the word in the very, quotes the verse and he, the man who dug, he doesn't say the word pit, which is in the verse. He just quotes that word to tell you about pit. Well, just tell me dug. I know where the verse is. There's only one verse that has those two words together. Because you dug. Or by duggy, by digging. So why does he have to quote the word the man who dug? What's the emphasis in that word? And if you want to say that word, the man dug, you should have said the man dug a pit, which is the emphasis of the whole idea of the digging there is the pit. And he doesn't, he leaves out that piece, that word from the verse. So in other words, you see that the fact that Rashi quotes a verse, only part of a verse, and which words he chooses to quote from, also has to be telling you something. Either say the whole verse, or say half the verse, or just say the word that's helping you. Why does he say, the man who dug, what's the man helping you in the word dug? Man, I know what the word man means. Ish means man. But the word yichre, I that's a good point. Yichre, that verse, tells me uh, the, that it means dug, digging. Number three. In the second explanation when he says that it means buying, and it's Rashi says, just like I would buy something. So he says, one way or the other, this is not understood. If it means that you want to tell me that karisi means that like I bought, so why do you have to tell me Asher? Just say it in short. Just like I bought it. I bought this, this plot. So I want to be buried there. And if it means you want to quote the whole thing, like the verse says, Asher Kariti Li, that I bought it. So he should have, Rashi should have said, like I bought it, Li, for me. Why does he drop the word Li, for me? Okay, also a technical question. Number four, why does Rashi bring a proof that Kariti means like I bought it? from the fact that Rabbi Akiva said that he went to the cities on the sea. There are other clearer verses that tell me that buying, we have, like we asked earlier already, we said we had a, a verse in Hesheya, we said and in Dvarim, places that says that it means bought. So why do you have to tell me this, this the idea of buying? You know it from Rabbi Akiva. Number five, even if you want to tell me the reason is that from those verses, for some reason, it's not enough of a proof that it means buying. And that's what Rashi said, tell me the proof from the sages, the way they understood, had they heard it on the street, that it means buying. It's difficult to understand why he brings all the details. When I was go, Rabbi Akiva was, what it says, when I was going on the cities of the sea and they called Kira selling, Rashi should have just said in short, that it means buying, like we see in the Talmud, and bring me this, tell me, look in Talmud Rosh Hashanah, that's where it is. Why do you have to tell me those details? Rabbi Kiva went on the cities of the, uh, uh, by the sea. How does telling me where the event was, how does that prove anything extra to me? The fact that Rashi says Rabbi Kiva went on the cities of the sea must be telling you something. So these are all the load of questions. Says the Rebbe, we're going to understand from here, and I'll just give you a little insight, introduction to the whole answer. He's going to show us why Rashi had to bring three interpretations and the difficulty with number one, number two, and number three, and that's why you need to have all three. The, the gist of the idea is going to be to show us how important it was to Jacob to be buried in this place. Rashi's not really coming to teach you the translation of the word kariti. I mean, that's not his main goal. He's really trying to give us to understand why we have these words at all. Jacob could have just said that to Pharaoh, my father made me swear to him that I'm going to bury him in Canaan. 
Why did he have to add these words? Asher karitili. Okay, given we're going to figure out what those words mean. But how does that help? If you tell Pharaoh, my father made me swear, that's enough strength to make us do this. And by the way, he brings in the footnote, a fascinating thing. When Jacob said to Pharaoh that my father made me swear, he could have just said, my father told me. Why did he, Joseph had a very high position. Why did he have to say that my father made me swear? The reason is because everybody knew, Jacob and Joseph knew, that Pharaoh wants Jacob to be buried in Egypt. Why would he want Jacob to be buried in Egypt? Because we know the famine was supposed to be for seven years. Jacob came down after two years. When Jacob came down, all of a sudden, people started seeing miracles. They took seeds, they put it into the ground, and all of a sudden, the ground was producing food. They never had this before for the last two years. So everybody in Egypt said, wow, this is all to the credit of this holy rabbi Jacob that came to town. It's all because of him. So that's why Jacob and Yosef was worried that Pharaoh would say, no, you're not taking him to Canaan. Bury him here in Egypt. I need his blessing. Now, what does it help to say that he made me swear? Pharaoh could have still said, tough luck on you that you swore. I'm not letting you go. There's a catch here. One time before, Pharaoh made Joseph swear to him something. We all know there was a rule in Egypt that in order to be the king, you have to know all 70 languages that the, that the whole world spoke at the time. Pharaoh didn't speak Hebrew. It was the only language he didn't do. Now, when he brought Joseph up to be you know, the, 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 the prime minister... He made Joseph swear that he'll never reveal the secret to anybody that he doesn't speak Hebrew. And Joseph swore. Now, when Joseph now says to Pharaoh, my father made me swear to him that I'm going to take his body out. If Pharaoh would have said, too bad, don't listen to this oath. Joseph would have said back to him, all right, sir, if you don't honor oaths, I don't have to honor my oath either anymore and I will tell everybody in Egypt that you don't speak Hebrew. So this was a great way to make sure that Pharaoh will have to hold to his word. So you can understand where that comes in that he had to use this word. That would have been enough, I would think, to convince Pharaoh to let him go. To let him bury Jacob in Israel. So why did he have to add these words at all? that he dug it or that he bought it or he bought off his brother for a heap of gold and silver. How does, what was the point of adding those words? For this, we have to say like this, that he meant something very special. He was trying to explain the connection that this burial plot in Israel that Jacob acquired through digging it or buying it, right? It was obviously very important to my father. And therefore, he said he wants to be buried. Shama Tikbereni over there is where I want to be buried. That means since Yaakov and Yosef knew that Pharaoh wants that Jacob's body should be buried in Egypt, as I just mentioned, why? Because there's blessings to the land. And therefore, Yaakov didn't leave out any words in the words of Yosef. And he said, that tell him that I, that I made you swear. And Yosef had to swear, as the commentaries explain, because this would be the effect on Pharaoh. And therefore, Yosef said that I swore. Bringing out the point how much he's obligated to follow the words of Jacob. So it's understood by adding these words to to affect Pharaoh well, that it's so important to him. He added why that place was so important to him. Because he actually worked for it by digging it or buying it, right? He actually, it was so important to him. And therefore, Rashi brings down the first interpretation. And he says, this is the literal understanding. Kariti means he dug it. And since he dug it by himself, clearly that, that he exerted himself to build his own, to dig his own burial plot, that strengthens the importance to Yaakov why he wanted to be buried there. And that's why it's clear that Rashi would bring up a, a, a point, of, uh, a proof from the law of somebody who digs a pit 
Rashi uses exactly these words. He doesn't say from the verse that says, a man who dug a pit. He just says, a man who dug. What's the emphasis on man to show you that it's not just anybody that digs a pit. We're emphasizing a man because the man emphasizes an adult. We don't use the word ish on a child. We use other adjectives. But the word ish is used from a bar mitzvah boy and older. You use the word ish. That's, that's the exact word. So Rashi specifically telling me we're talking about an adulthood man. So what it means that he dig means that he worked extra hard. And by the way, this also tells us, it answers the question, why didn't Rashi tell you a verse from an earlier Parsha, Parsha told us over there it says, it does say, Vayichru means it dug, they dug the wells of Yitzchak. But over there, who dug it? The servants of Yitzchak dug it. So I know the word, it means digging. But over there, wasn't he himself? So a stronger verse to point out he himself dug is the verse about, from the pit as the, as the proof. Now, Okay, so that's a beautiful explanation that he used these words because he dug the pit. That's why he wants to be buried there. What's the problem with that interpretation? Why does Rashi need to say, I have a second interpretation? It could also mean something else. You know why? Because there's a difficulty with explanation one. There's such a strong difficulty with it that once you hear this question, you wouldn't be able to go to sleep without knowing another way of learning this. So Rashi tells you like this. Let's let's think what's the what's the what it is. The difficulty is like this. The general whole idea was the cave of the doubles called Ma'arat Hamachpelah in Hebron. Right? That's in Israel, in Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov lived how many years in Egypt? 17 years. The last 17 years of his life. He came into Egypt. King Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? Remember? And he said, I'm 130 years young. And he died at 147. So he lived 147 years, 17 years there. That means if we say that he dug his own grave burial place, that means he dug it 17 years before he died. That's quite unusual for a person to be so concerned about your burial spot 17 years before you die. Especially, by the way, brings in a footnote. I'm not going to go through the whole calculation now, but it's a fascinating idea. It says when Jacob was 123, he was so nervous he was going to die soon. And Rashi brings down, you know why he was nervous? Because 123, he hit five years before the age of when his mother died. His mother died at 127. So from 123, Jacob knew there's a good chance I got my mother's gene and I may die at, one, at 123 because I'm within five years of her age. And it says that a person should be concerned five years before the age of a parent, your parent that died till five years after that. So in other words, until he's 132 years old, he should be concerned. Right? Because his mother was 127 when she died. So now, he really knew that he was pretty much out of the dangerous zone. He's been 130 years when he comes to, to Egypt. He knew he was pretty much out of the danger zone, especially Jacob also heard that the three forefathers, meaning Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, are all going to live till 180 years old. Okay? Avraham ended up dying at 175, five years early. And the reason for that that's brought down is, is because his, son, his grandson, Esau, was 15 years old then, and his grandson Asaph started becoming a wicked man at 15 years old, and that's what turned, God said, I'm taking Avram out of this world a little early, so he shouldn't have to witness this atrocities of his grandson, okay? But really, he's supposed to live to 182. Yitzchak lived to 180. So Yaakov knew he's got plenty of time, he's only a little kid, he's 130 years old. So it doesn't make sense that Yaakov should go dig his own plot, that's problem number one with the simple interpretation to say that Jacob himself dug it. It doesn't make sense that 17 years before he died that he should dig his own plot. Second of all, why would Yaakov at all have to dig a place by himself? He has servants. 
even though you could also say that he may have had help from his servants, but it says here that he dug it. So again, that's another reason why it's difficult, this simple interpretation that it said that he dug. Number three, the use of word is, it says in the verse, Asher kariti li, that he, I dug for myself. The word li is extra. It says kariti in Hebrew, when you use a yud at the end of a word, it means I. Kariti means I dug. Why did I dig for myself? The word for myself is extra. Clearly, if you say, I dug it, it means that you did it for yourself. Therefore, Rashi says, we are compelled to look for a second interpretation of what the word means. It cannot just mean the simple meaning that it means he dug it for the, for, the, for the above-mentioned reasons. Therefore, Rashi says, I have another meaning. And the other interpretation is also from a medrash, but that means buying it, which also fits a little bit with the literal wordings of it. But when he says a medrash, he doesn't mean literally a, a, like, like a homiletical interpretation which gives you a general idea. This medrash also fits with the simple way of learning the verse. And by using this interpretation that I bought it, that makes sense. I bought it for myself. And more importantly, it stresses the importance of this burial place to Jacob. That koniti, I bought it. Jacob didn't say I inherited it or I got it like through an inheritance from my father or something like that. It means I physically bought this thing. That shows more of his infatuation with this place. He was absolutely crazy about it. And he even would go and buy it. As it says, when Abraham bought the place of the, the, this cave, it says he bought it because of Molly with full amounts of silver, meaning that he really went all at it. So that's the second meaning of Rashi saying, the second interpretation is that buying it shows again how important it was to Jacob that he bought it. How do you explain this a little more to show us that this is so important? Because you see that buying it, Rashi tells you, is like Rabbi Akiva said, that when I went on the cities of the sea, they called Kira, like Mechira is Kira, they use the same, same word of, of, of buying. Even though it's really a contradiction of words because Mechira that he heard on the road means selling. And here we're trying to say Kira means buying it. So he says really buying and selling, it's true, it's two different words. But the concept is transferring of ownership. That's what we're trying to emphasize here. The transfer from me to you, you to me. And therefore he says that Karisi means buying it. Like the word of Maharti, which means selling it, but it, it's the same idea of transferring of things. And now it's understood why the verse says... And I bought it for me. What's the emphasis of the Lee? For me. Even though Carisi alone means buying it for me. Because Kanisi could mean, as we just said, it could mean just a transferring of, of ownership. So that's why it has to say bought it for me to emphasize the part of where which direction we're talking about. He bought it for himself. And therefore, Rashi cannot bring any proof of other verses, whether it's in the book of Deuteronomy where God said you should buy the water or the book of Isaiah there where he uses an expression of buying. Because from over there, you will be stuck that it's buying it or selling it. How do I know that it's buying it for me? So that with that, I can only understand this in our concept. Because here, Rabbi Akiva went and said it's idea of transferring it and then it says Lee for me. So again, he bought it for himself. So, the second explanation of Rashi should suffice. Now you should be able to go to sleep. The first explanation that he dug it, nah, doesn't make sense 100%. How could it be that he dug it before 17 years? Okay, so you gave me a second meaning that it means that he bought it. So what's the problem with that? 
Says the Rebbe, there is problems with that. As a matter of fact, there's two strong questions on this meaning of saying bada. Number one, the question that we asked earlier, why do I have to know at all these words that he bought it? The verse says that he made me swear that should be enough. Why does buying it help in the strength to convince Pharaoh? In other words, what's so strong about saying that my father bought it to the point that that's, that's going to convince Pharaoh that he needs to sell it to him? If you want to rely in two other places of our forefathers, of Avram and Yitzchak, that Avram bought the Baris of Pele, and he bought the, 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 the place of Inchem for a hundred ksita, those were exorbitant prices that these, that these people played, paid for. And that's how you're going to convince Pharaoh. That's very difficult to say that that's why, that's why he added the words that he bought it. Oh, just like his forefathers paid a lot, he probably paid a lot too. We don't even know how much he, he would have paid. He just says that he bought it. So to say that he bought it is difficult to say that these words are really going to be the convincing words to Pharaoh. Number two, why does he say when he says the word kira, which means a transferring of ownership from you to me or you to me to you, it could have just said, the verse could have just said a much better word. Why do you have to give me, by the way, in, in the unedited version, the Rebbe uses the word madana. It's a madana word. Why do you have to use me an unusual word of karisi? It's, the verse should have just said clearly the normal word that's used everywhere else of buying it. He, and I, he bought it. Kanisi, as buying. Why do you have to tell me kariti? And then I should teach you that kariti means kanisi. Therefore, and then Rashi has to then go and prove you that it means buying you because the story with Rabbi Akiva on the sea. And that's what it means kariti, it means kanisi. The verse should have just said it clearly, kanisi. Buying. Why doesn't the verse just say it the way it is? I understand that that's why Rashi quotes it, says, says that it's a medrash. But he could have just said it much more clear. The verse could have just said it clear. So because of this difficulty in saying that buy, that it means buying doesn't really fit with the, the narrative here because the verse could have just said clearly bought in a normal word bought. Why did he have to use an unusual word? Therefore, a person wouldn't be satisfied with the second commentary of Rashi. Therefore, Rashi says... That at the end of the day, Karisi means that Yaakov made a kira. In other words, he didn't just make an effort to get this burial place by buying it. Because buying it, everybody would buy something that's precious to them. Who wouldn't buy something that's precious to them? Everybody would go out and buy it. So of course he would buy it something precious. Rashi says... The verse didn't tell me the word buying because buying itself wouldn't convince him. What it really, what really would convince Pharaoh? When you tell Pharaoh that Jacob gave up all his money that he had for 21 years of his most successful days of his life, he gave all that away for this place, that's already a convincing point. That's much stronger than just that he bought it even at an expensive price. Who would go and do that? It must be that's now serious. That shows on his determination. And now you must let us go and bury him there. So that's a much, much better selling point to tell this to to him. That's why we needed the third interpretation of Rashi. Because now you could go to sleep. Because now you have a satisfactory answer. That what's going to convince Pharaoh? By saying these words, Asher Kariti, he made a heap, this pile of money with everything that he had. If, if this is the convincing point, Rashi should have just said the third meaning. Why did he have to go through one, two, three? The answer is because the third one, that it means a heap, is a very nice interpretation, but it's far from the literal use of the word in the verse. In other words, it's an interpretation. It's a homiletical insight that tells you a meaning, but if you go back to the actual Hebrew letters that the verse uses, 
it's only a drash. It's like, it's a homiletical behind the scene insight. And therefore, Rashi's style of interpretation is to try to give us an interpretation that fits the best and first and foremost with the literal use of a word explaining me the translation. That's why he went first with the idea of digging. Ah, you're going to ask a question one second if he dug it. Why would he dig a place 17 years before? Okay, you're right. You have a good question. So I'll tell you another, another me. It means he bought it. But even in buying, is buying really the convincing thing? Everybody would spend money on buying. So he says, okay, it means he gave all his wealth away. Oh, that's very convincing. No problem. But it's still not the, the, the proof. Bring the proof from a medrash is far from the simple meaning. And that's why you have to go back to verse, the first meaning. That it means he dug a hole. But then you're going to go in a circle. That's why the Rebbe always shows us that if there's three interpretations, each one is true, of course. But because each one has a difficulty, you need to have the second one. If the second one has difficulty, you need to have the third one. The third one has difficulty, well, that will be satisfied by, by the first one. So each one will complement another way of understanding, then you could come to the bottom of it. Now, this is the Sicha. But now I want to share with you a letter from the Rebbe. Usually we do just a Sicha, but this is a letter about bearing a loved one. And I find it to be a very fascinating letter. And this is a letter for, that was written in 1950, in the summer of 1950. Now remember the dates, I'm sharing with you this date because you'll understand that the Rebbe was not formally yet the Rebbe. He was the son-in-law of the previous Rebbe. The previous Rebbe passed away in February of 1950. Now we're talking, I don't know, July or August, somewhere there. And the Rebbe didn't assume the leadership until the next year, 1951. On the first yard site of the previous Rebbe. So that year, there was no official Rebbe. Even though, as you're going to see, lots of people consulted with the Rebbe, even though he wasn't the Rebbe just yet, formally. There were many times people came to the Rebbe with a note, said, can you Give me an answer. Can you give me a blessing? And the Rebbe said to these people, why are you bringing it to me? And people said, because we, I consider you my Rebbe. Yeah. There's a story. Somebody came into his office. Those days he didn't even have to knock. Or maybe you knocked. It wasn't locked. And the Rebbe put on his gartel, stood up when the person said that he's accepting him as a Rebbe. And the Rebbe took that very serious and gave him his, his advice. There's a very famous story for another time of a, a Jew that, was, that started in Israel um, I forget now the name of the car company manufacturing cars in Israel. 1950. The guy had to fundraise an exorbitant amount of money. I can't remember. I somehow feel like we're talking about $100 million or something crazy number in those days. And he traveled and he heard that the Rebbe understands the world as well. And this guy, there's a video of him saying the story. How he came to 770 and met the Rebbe, and the Rebbe told him to do it. The Rebbe said, you're going to see, build a company. You're going to, it's going to be very worth it for you. I forget the name of the car company, the first car company in Israel. Any case, so you see people went to the Rebbe, understood his greatness in Torah, and also understood that the Rebbe had the, the bigger picture. So in 1950, there's a man named Chaim Meir Minkowitz. Many of you know his son, who's our chazen by us in the shuls, our Roshani and Kippur, Dr. Minkowitz, Toronto, right? His father's name was Chaim Meir Minkowitz. He was the gabai in Montreal for many years in the big Chabad shul. And he wrote to the Rebbe the following letter. And I'm reading you the Rebbe's response to him. In response to your letter to me from Erev Shabbos that you asked me, if you should go back in France and, be, and accept the position of being a shochet, that was his parnasa then, his livelihood, he was a shochet, he slaughtered kosher animals so people could have meat in France. And this business, to go travel there and become the, the shochet, required him to travel to another city, where, I guess, where all the cattle was. But, in that city, there was no minion. There was no synagogue there, where he could go do his daily prayers and say Kaddish. And lead the service. 
because if you're the chazin, you get to say more kadeshim. That's why people on yard site or the first 11 months after a loved one, you try to be the chazin because then you could say more kadeshim for the loved one. And you're asking me, should you go back and become the shaykhet in that city where there's no minion and you wouldn't be able to say kaddish and you're going to rely on your two brothers who are saying kaddish somewhere? What's the advantage for you to go be the shaykhet there? Because you're going to be able to make a livelihood for your wife and children. And a second point, you're saying in your letter that you're going to be able to pay up the debt of money to pay for your father's burial. Clearly, Jews were in such you know financial strains then that they had to borrow money and he, had to, he would have to work to make a living to pay back. So that's, the Rebbe is saying to him, in response to your question, should you go become a sheikhit and not be able to say Kaddish? And through this, you'll be able to gain, you'll be able to support your family, and you'll be able to pay up your responsibilities for your father's burial. So Rebbe says, there are many, my response to you basically is like this. There are many places that our sages permit the importance of livelihood, especially when there's taxes and other government responsibilities in order to live. So in other words, this reason to travel there, even though you won't have a minion to say Kaddish, there's a lot to rely on because making a livelihood, a, a parnasa is very important. And especially where you have two other brothers that could say Kaddish. That's better than hiring somebody to say Kaddish for your dad. And through this, and there are lists off some sources in halacha where this is the right path to be able to make a livelihood for your family and to be able to pay back the debts for your father's burial also is an appropriate thing to do as it's brought down in one, two, three, four, five, six sources he brings down of different places where that's an important thing to do to pay for your father's burial. And you could actually, at the end of the day, hire somebody to say Kaddish for you. Says the Rebbe that it's appropriate that in the times of davening, you should give tzedakah at the times, morning, afternoon, night, give tzedakah for the soul and learn some Mishnayis and try to participate participate in a Mizuman, you know, by benching. At least you'll have a, a... it's a little group to add some extra words of Hashem. Even though I never saw any mourners, orphans, that say Kaddish, I never saw that they should be careful about this. And my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, never told me about this when I was saying Kaddish. <laughs> in my year of mourning, in 1944, the Rebbe was saying Kaddish for his father. He says, the previous ever never told me to do this, to go, you know, join in other people eating, so I could say, Rabbi Sai, whatever. Okay. That's the Rebbe's response, not half of the response. Then the Rebbe says like this. He says, all this that I'm mentioning till now, right, I'm telling you that it, this is, it's appropriate and there's approval from halacha. All this is because I don't know you well enough in your faith and trust in God. But I want you to know something, the Rebbe tells him. <laughs> the Rebbe is not the Rebbe yet, officially, right? But a guy consults him from across the, across the globe. The Rebbe is in New York, this guy's in France. The Rebbe says, all this is because I don't know you and your situation and your trust in Hashem. But if you would trust in Hashem properly and with proper Tamimus means loyalty. And you will search for a way to make Parnassa. I want you to know that certainly Hashem would give you a way to make a livelihood in a place where there'll be a minion. And you'll be able to fulfill all your obligations. I find this to be such an amazing thing. The Rebbe is telling him, and like I'm, obviously I'm sharing this letter because in the content of the Sicha is where Yaakov wanted to be buried there was so special to him, right? The point here is that this man actually had his father's uh, um, body 
transferred to Israel. It was a lot of expenses in 1950 to get that done. But the point is that, yes, there's halachically, there's leeway to do a lot of certain things. But with proper faith, Hashem could give you your livelihood wherever you are. You don't must travel the world. It seems to us that we do, right? And then the Rebbe, can, that's the point, but just to finish the last line of the letter, the Rebbe says, it's surprising to me that you don't mention anything in how the burial took, the temporary burial took place and how the burial was done after that. Hashem should um, make us uh, meritorious that, to, to hear good news and, and so on. So they buried this father a temporary burial before they were able to figure out ways how to get into Israel. So Rebbe says, I'm surprised that you're not sharing that information with me. So there's another letter follow-up a little while later where he does follow up and the Rebbe you know, was wanted in all the details. But the point is, besides the fact that the Rebbe took such an interest in somebody's personal story, but the point is that all of us could learn from the Sicha the obvious lesson that the Jacob was determined about this. And if you're determined, you can get it done. You make the proper preparations. And more important, also, or also important is from this letter, is the bitachon. If you have proper bitachon, Hashem will give you all the blessings that you need.